Hello everyone, welcome back to True Crimes Untold. I'm your host, Jessica Rodenz. This next episode is on the Fall River Cult Murders. murderer is set to appear before the parole board again tomorrow. Robin Murphy served 24 years in prison for her part in the ritualistic killing of Karen Marsden in 1980. Marsden's decapitated body was found in the Westport woods. Murphy was convicted of second degree murder. Her testimony helped convict Carl Drew and Andrew Molotos on first degree murder charges. Murphy was released on parole in 2004, but quickly returned to prison after she was found in the presence of a person with a felony record. Hello, friends. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Thanks for joining me. So we're going to just jump right into this episode. It is a crazy case, to say the least. It is on the Fall River Cult Murders. So the decline in the economy in the late 1970s took a hard hit on the once prosperous city of Fall River, Massachusetts. Factories closed, buildings were abandoned, and the downtown area had become a total wasteland. This left people to do things they normally wouldn't do to make money. The drug trade, prostitution, and sex work really started to thrive in the Fall River area at this time. The late 70s was also the height of the Satanic Panic, which started with the Manson family murders. After the stories of ritualistic killings and Satan worshippers spread to the public, mass hysteria was underway. A series of murders took place in Fall River between October 1979 and February 1980. This area was also known for one of the most brutal killings ever, Lizzie Borden, who hacked up her parents with a hatchet in 1892. If you're unfamiliar with that case, you should go and check it out. It's nuts. Um, I'll probably cover it at some point, but it's a little more popular. So sometime, you know, in the future, maybe I will. The Bridgewater Triangle is just 25 miles south of Fall River. The area is known for its many paranormal phenomena, including ghosts, Bigfoots, UFOs, and strange creatures. The Girl Under the Bleachers The body of the first victim was found on October 13, 1979. Doreen Laveau, a 17-year-old runaway from New Bedford. Her mutilated body was found under the bleachers at Demon Vocational High School. Her wrists had been bound with fishing line and there were signs of sexual torture. She had been stabbed in the head several times and suffered multiple skull fractures. Police believe she was bludgeoned to death with a rock that they found near the murder scene. JR and I have been watching a documentary um, on this Fall River on Epics, which is was really good. And they said that they found a huge rock um, close to Doreen's body. And... 
since they could see, you know, signs of, you know, some that she was bludgeoned in the head with something. They assumed it was this rock. They did take it in, um, but they could not find any fingerprints on it. So didn't really do them much good. But of course, they still had to take it in to uh, be looked at to be tested. Uh, Doreen had been prostituting herself and police initially suspected one of her clients of committing the murder. However, the county medical examiner determined that the killing was likely committed by multiple people, and the forensic evidence also suggested a ritual element to the crime, a possible death by stoning. A month after police discovered Doreen Laveau's body, a man named Andy Malte walked into the Fall River Police Station. He was there to file a missing persons report for his girlfriend, 22-year-old Barbara Rapiso. Like Doreen Laveau, Barbara was a prostitute who worked the Bedford Street area. Malte told police that he feared for his girlfriend's life. He then told the police that he had information about a satanic cult and claimed to have information on the Laveau murder. Since it had been a month with no other leads in the case, the police took a formal interview with Andy to see what he knew. They definitely thought this guy was pretty sketchy. You know, they they weren't sure if they believed uh, his claims. But again, since they didn't have much to go on yet, they had to sit and listen to what he said. Andy Malte had a serious record himself. He was a pedophile, a sexual sadist, a violent rapist, and as, as of recently, he made a religious conversion and was now a devout Christian. Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior, said the 44-year-old man as he held up a small Bible to prove his newfound faith. Once I worshipped Satan, but now I worship Jesus. According to Andy's statements, him and his girlfriend Barbara were practicing Satanist at the time of her disappearance. They were members of a local cult, and Doreen Laveau was also a member. He told police that he believed the cult was responsible for Doreen's murder, but he did not have any direct knowledge of the crime. The police seemed skeptical of Andy's claims. He offered to arrange a meeting with two other members of the cult that he was sure would have more direct information about the case. A few days later, Andy introduced police to Karen Marsden and Robin Murphy. Karen Marsden was a 20-year-old single mother who worked the Fall River's Red Light District. She was a runaway and a drug addict. Police described her as being nervous and emotional. Robin Murphy, on the other hand, was the exact opposite. She was cold and calculated. Robin was only 17 at the time. She was a prostitute and an inspiring pimp. Murphy was described as a tough street kid with a high degree of intelligence and a domineering personality. Karen and Robin were roommates and in a relationship together. The police were unsure of the connection between Andy and the two girls. Robin and Karen said they knew him from around. In later testimony, Robin claimed that he had been molesting her since age 11. 
During the interview with police, Robin Murphy remained silent, studying the officers and occasionally glaring at Karen as she did all the talking. Karen eventually broke down into tears and told police Carl Drew killed Doreen Laveau. Just quickly back on Andy Malte and how he had been molesting Robin since age 11. Um, in this documentary we watched, there was also another woman, um, cannot remember her name, but he also uh, was molesting and sexually assaulting her. I believe she was 12 at the time. And, you know, he did just horrible things to this girl. You know, she was an older woman when she was in the documentary, I would say probably close to 50s um, or so. Um, And she was still just torn, you know, apart. Her life just was never the same from what Andy had done to her. Um, He told her if she ever told anybody that he would kill her parents and her sister. And he had also once bought her two puppies and he killed one of the puppies in front of her to remind her what he could do. So he was a sick human being, definitely. Carl Drew was a 26-year-old pimp with a violent history that local authorities were aware of. Carl Drew ran his business out of the Bedford Street District. He was originally from New Hampshire, and he was raised on a small farm. His childhood consisted of hard labor and physical abuse. In interviews, he told police about his alcoholic father tying a rope around his ankles and lowering him down a well to remove a cluster of dead rats. Carl eventually ran away from home at the age of 14 and found his place in Fall River's criminal underground, hanging around with bikers, drug addicts, and prostitutes. Carl Drew had a direct connection with Doreen Laveau. He was her pimp. He also fit the profile of someone who was capable of such a savage crime. Unfortunately, there was was nothing to link Drew to the murder other than a claim by a young drug addict, Karen Marsden. Police offered Karen witness protection for her cooperation if she would give more details of the murder, but she did not give any further information. She gave one final statement, saying that if she turns up dead, it was Carl Drew who was responsible. Detectives from the Fall River Major Crimes Division would remain in contact with Karen over the next few weeks in hopes to learn more about the Fall River cult. I'm a good person, Karen sobbed. I believe in God. Karen was in fear for her life, calling Carl Drew the devil, and knew there would be consequences for her betrayal. She claimed that Drew organized his prostitution ring as a satanic coven that he rolled with an iron fist. Satan will take his toll, he would threaten the girls. He made them believe that if they did not follow and listen, that their souls would be sacrificed and cast into the flaming pits of hell for eternity. Carol Fletcher is another young area prostitute who also had ties to the cult. She was known as a barfly doing tricks for drinks. 
Marsden and Fletcher took police to the Freetown State Forest, and this is where the girls claimed the cult held their nocturnal gatherings. As they were passing by an algae-covered pool of water, Karen Marsden look at, looked at it with fear in her eyes. This is where she told police that Carl Drew would dump her body after injecting battery acid into her veins and offering her soul to Satan if she talked to the police. Carl Drew was a feared pimp who was good at making threats of violence. Cookie, a.k.a. Mildred Jukes, was one of Drew's girls, and she later told police of his planned retribution against a woman who had gotten her arrested for prostitution. He said he was going to kill her for it and tie her to a tree to be sacrificed and pour warm blood from a live goat all over her face. With all the things police are being told about Carl Drew, he's a Satanist, leader of the cult, aggressive pimp who doesn't treat his girls right. Detectives believed that they had their murder suspect. They soon find out from Karen Marsden that Carl Drew isn't the only dangerous individual in her life. Robin Murphy also had a very dark past. Before her introduction to the circle of Satanists in Bedford Street red light district scene, she had a long been she had been long dabbling in the occult. The people around her described her as being psychologically unstable and prone to violence. As the detectives are getting to know these individuals that are a part of this so-called cult, another body is discovered. On January 26, 1980, the frozen and bloodied body of Barbara Raposa was found in the woods behind an abandoned printing factory. Her wrists were tied together with fishing line, she had been sexually assaulted, and her head had been crushed with a rock. Now there were two victims who were known prostitutes and both dabbled in Satanism and both women were murdered in the same ritualistic way. It didn't take police long to connect the dots, and some of their potential suspects were already under investigation. They first interviewed Andy Malte for his girlfriend Barbara's murder since he was the last known person to see her alive. Malte denied any knowledge of the crime. A few days later, Malte contacted the police after he had received details of the murder in a psychic dream. They were very specific details. Police brought Malte to the crime scene and allowed him to describe to them what he saw in his dream. He knew exactly where the woman's body had been discovered, its positioning, time of death, method of killing, and various other details that were not made public at the time. His psychic testimony did not help Malte like he had hoped, but instead landed him in handcuffs and he was being charged with murder. Listen, I think that there is a small percentage of people that are truly psychics in the whole world. I do not think Andy Malte is one of them. I just had to say that. After Andy Malte was arrested, Robin Murphy contacted police and offered to testify against him as a witness to the murder. 
Robin claimed she was also present for the killing of Doreen Laveau and agreed to turn state's evidence in that case as well. In exchange for her cooperation, she made a deal where she would be placed in protective custody and would be granted immunity in both murders. That's crazy to me. Immunity in both murders when she obviously had something to do with it. Robin's statement to the police and what she would later repeat in court was that Andy Malte had killed Barbara Raposa after he discovered that she had been cheating on him with another man. Robin said on the night of the murder, they all had been partying together while driving around the city. At some point in the night, Andy and Barbara started to argue. Malte then parked his car behind an abandoned factory dragged Raposa out of the car, and raped her. He was beating her first with his fists as she yelled for help. He then picked up a rock and beat her with it. Malte got back into the car with Murphy and drove off, leaving his bloody girlfriend to crawl away on her own. Police asked why Robin Murphy didn't come to the police sooner. She claimed that Malte threatened her with the same fate if she talked. It was when Malte was finally behind bars that she felt safe enough to come forward with her story. Even though Robin's statement had a lot of missing pieces, it was enough to put Andy Malte away for the rest of his life given his history of violent sexual transgressions. Robin Murphy also claimed that there was no direct connection between the Laveau and the Rapisseau case although the forensic evidence was near identical. It just so happened that Murphy was present for both of the killings. The killing of Doreen Laveau was an offering of the soul to Satan, Murphy told police, and Carl Drew was behind it. Murphy claimed that teenage prostitute Doreen Laveau had recently left Drew's coven with intentions of working the street on her own. Leaving this group would not be so easy, unfortunately. Satan had a toll that needed to be paid. Drew tracked down Doreen Laveau at a Bedford Street bar and forced her into his car. Robin Murphy, Karen Marsden, and Willie Smith, who was a friend of Drew Carl Carl and a fellow Satanist, were all in the car. Drew began telling Laveau that she couldn't afford to work on her to work the streets alone. He then backhanded her across the face. Drew drove around to the back of the high school and the two men took Laveau under the bleachers. Murphy and Marsden stayed at the car. In Murphy's initial statement, she said she didn't hear any screams and claimed to see nothing. After some time, the men returned to the car and Doreen Laveau was not with them and the four of them drove away. When they asked what happened to her, Drew replied, you don't want to know. Robin Murphy's testimony did not match up with the forensic evidence that was left behind. She had said she didn't hear any screams. That could, that could have been plausible if Laveau would have been smothered or strangled to death but she was violently sexually assaulted and suffered from prolonged torture. She also said the whole ordeal was over in a matter of minutes. 
She even told police that she was unsure if Laveau had even been murdered that night, and she didn't know until she saw it in the paper days later. Her story continued to evolve over time and included various details of satanic embellishments that she must have forgotten during her initial interview. The Sacrifice of Karen Marsden Karen Marsden continued to stay in contact with the detectives working on the case. It's believed that Karen was also present for both murders, but her uh, recollections of what happened on those nights are much different than Murphy's version of events. While Karen maintained that Carl Drew was the cult leader and behind these killings, she also told detectives that Murphy played a direct leading role in the killings as well. According to Marsden, Murphy had instructed all those present to take part in the mutilation of Laveau and Raposa's bodies. This would keep their silence since they were directly involved in the crimes. Due to Karen Marsden's drug use, erratic behavior, and unwillingness to testify in court, she was an unreliable witness. By the time of Karen's last interview with the police, she was on the verge of an emotional breakdown. She was convinced she was going to be the next one to be sacrificed to Satan. On February 9, 1980, Karen Marsden was reported missing. Two months later, a grisly discovery was made in the nearby beach town of Westport. While clearing a parcel of land near Devol Pond, a man came across the top half of a human skull. Police arrived on the scene and did a more detailed search of the area. They dug up the decaying carcasses of three cats, sheep bones, and clumps of human hair. They also found jewelry, a high-heeled shoe, and pieces torn from a woman's sweater. Forensics soon determined that the skull belonged to Karen Marsden. A woman named Maureen Sunny Sparta contacted police after Karen's skull was found and told them that Robin Murphy was Karen's killer. Sunny was a former prostitute who lived in the Harbor Terrace housing projects near Fall River's waterfront. She was looked at as somewhat of a den mother to the younger prostitutes, runaways, drug users, and she would hold satanic gatherings in her apartment. She was also Murphy's ex-lover. She told police that Robin had admitted to the murder during a phone conversation. Carol Fletcher, who took police to the Freetown State Forest, also came forward with information. She claimed that Carl Drew and Robin Murphy were responsible for the murder. Carl Davis, a friend of Drew's, was also a local pimp who operated out of Fall River and nearby Providence, Rhode Island. He was also present for the murders. Carol Fletcher admitted to driving the group out to the forest where the satanic sacrifice took place. As part of her, of her witness protection agreement in the uh, Raposa case, Robin Murphy was relocated to Dallas, Texas. She would stay there with a friend until Malte went on trial. 
Once police learned about her connection to Karen Marsden's murder, a warrant was issued for her arrest and she was immediately brought back to Fall River. Carl Drew and Carl Davis were also indicted and placed under arrest. Both men were already in county jail serving short sentences on unrelated assault charges. So I guess either of them weren't too hard to find. During Robin Murphy's interrogation, she broke down and told police everything, or at least her version of the story, which she would later recant during a parole hearing years later. Karen Marsden had become too much of a liability. She was a witness to the Doreen Laveau killing and had gone to the police. Carl Drew decided her fate. Drew and Davis forced Murphy to take part in the brutal murder to show how loyal she was to the cult. In Robin Murphy's statement, she was forced to drag Marsden from the car and pull out her hair. This was followed by a ritual stoning by Drew, Murphy, Fletcher, and Davis. Drew then cut off one of Marsden's fingers to make her feel pain and then broke her neck with his bare hands. Davis handed Murphy a knife and told her to slit Marsden's throat with it. The two men then tore Karen Marsden's head off and kicked it around the woods. Drew carved an X into Marsden's torso and began to speak in tongues, offering her soul to Satan. He then dipped his finger in her blood and made an X on Murphy's forehead. Murphy was then made to perform oral sex on Karen Marsden's corpse before it was dumped in the woods, doused in gasoline, and burned to ashes. Many of the facts in this case were given by unstable young women who knew how to manipulate those around her. A young woman, I mean, one young woman, Robin Murphy. There was a lot of witness tampering, manipulation, and misconduct that took place throughout the investigation by police, including by detectives who may have helped frame the case based on their own Catholic beliefs. The fact remains that three women that were all connected by their occupations and occult activities were all brutally murdered under similar circumstances. This cult was nothing more than a tool to put fear in the young and impressionable impressionable prostitutes, sorry, that's kind of hard to say, of Fall River. And the people connected to this case all had ties in the satanic group. Two detectives from Fall, Fall River's Major Crimes Division witnessed one of the group's black masses held in Sunny Sparta's apartment firsthand as part of the investigation. We pray to Satan. We chant. We try to conjure him, she explained. Carl Drew, Robin Murphy, Sunny Sparta, and a few other Bedford Street regulars were all at the apartment that night. Standing under a large painted mural of the devil on the living room wall, congregants formed a circle and started to chant, Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Leading the ceremony that night was a woman later identified as a prostitute from Providence, Rhode Island. Sparta then described the black mass gatherings that would take place in the Freetown State Forest. 
She denied any knowledge of human sacrifice, but admitted that goats and stray cats were used during ceremonies. The warm blood would be used in mock baptisms and poured over the heads of the gathered congregants. It claimed it's claimed that during these rituals, people would lose consciousness or speak in tongues. Satan appears in a form where we feel his presence, or he takes possession of one of us, Sparta claimed. You can tell when Satan is there. Some people even let him speak through them in his own language. It isn't human speech. There's no way anyone on earth could fake it. Robin Murphy made similar claims in court testimony. She also noted the use of a skull in what she believed was human blood during the ceremonies. She claimed to have attended 10 cult gatherings between October 1979 and February 1980, including the two where Laveau and Raposa were killed. I worship Satan, Carl Drew told police while under interrogation. I worship him like you worship God. For people like Drew, there is power in evil. He used this power to control young women to work for him and do what he asked of them. Burton Wolf wrote in his introduction to Anton LaVey's The Satanic Bible, Satanism is based on the belief that human beings are inherently selfish, violent creatures, that life is a Darwinian struggle for survival of the fittest, that only the strong survive and the earth will be ruled by those who fight to win the ceaseless competition that exists in all jungles, including those of urbanized society. The practices of this group had no known connection to any of the established Satanist organizations that existed at the time, such as the Church of Satan or Temple of Set. Many of the rituals practiced by the Fall River cult were like, likely inspired by occult horror films and what the media would say about Satanists during the Satanic Panic era. They kill every 30 days or so, on the full moon, Cookie would tell police. It's always a ritual that they offer up the victim as a sacrifice to Satan. It's unclear how much of these claims were based on reality. Animal sacrifices did seem to take place, but it was never proven that there were ritual murders on human victims. Although there was a lot of talk about satanic worship during the trials, the prosecution decided it would only complicate the proceedings if they connected the three murders to this conspiracy. In addition to satisfying sadistic urges, psychologist Gail Feldman writes in her study of ritualized abuse, Torture is used to force the victim to a maximum state of emotional arousal, where it is believed that the greatest amount of life force is extracted at the moment of death. While the police were searching the forest for clues and evidence, they came across a small abandoned shack. It was claimed that the group would hold orgies and prepared for their ritual activities at the shack. A number of cult-related items were found at the site, but no evidence that could be tied to any of the crimes. 
Gatherings were held deeper in the forest around the altar, which was a large flat stone slab where torchlit ceremonies were performed over the bodies of naked prostitutes and animals were bled out in Satan's honor. The court trials of Carl Drew, Robin Murphy, Andy Malte, and Carl Davis were a media frenzy. Headlines read of satanic rites, sexual torture, and cult murder. The public was convinced that these individuals did not act alone. Many believed that these four individuals were just the tip of the iceberg and a dangerous cult was still active in the area. Anytime a rape, kidnapping, or murder happened in Bristol County, people believed it was the work of Satanists that still lived in the area. Andy Malte was the first to stand trial. In January 1981, he was convicted of first-degree murder of Barbara Raposa and given a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Much of the case against him was based on witness testimony of Robin Murphy. He was later considered to be a suspect in a few other unsolved area rapes dating back to the early 1970s. No additional charges were ever brought against him, and he eventually died of cancer in 1998. Since the local people of Bristol County had their own opinions on the Fall River cult murders, it proved impossible to hold a fair trial there for Drew, Murphy, and Davis. The case would be moved to Horchester County Superior Court in Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Robin's lawyer, Robin Murphy's lawyer was able to convince the court that his young client had been under the powerful influence of the satanic cult at the time of the Marsden murder. This allowed her plea to the lesser charge of second-degree murder in exchange for her testimony against her co-defendants. The immune deal that she struck with the district attorney's office held and she received no additional charges in connection with the Laveau or Raposa killings. Robin Murphy received a life sentence with the possibility of parole. After spending 24 years in prison, she was released on June 10, 2004. Murphy ended up violating her parole conditions by dating a felon, and she was returned to prison seven years later. She is currently serving her time in a maximum security prison in Framingham, Massachusetts. You have to do one thing. Stay out of jail. You know, do, like, follow your parole. Do what they tell you to do. And you go back to jail because you date a felon? Like, that's what you go back to jail for. Come on. You stupid ass. The case built against Carl Drew fell apart. He never stood trial for his alleged role in the abduction and ritual murder of Karen Marsden. The following year, he was arrested for assaulting Sonny Sparta with a deadly weapon. Carl Drew made a statement on his own personal blog saying, Davis beat the three-month pregnant Sparta and stabbed her in the head with a knife because she had information implicating both him and Robin Murphy in the Marsden murder. He served seven years and is now free. Carl Drew would go down as the guiding hand of the Fall River cult murders. 
Numerous character witnesses established that Drew was a man that was feared by everyone around him. He had a felony record that consisted of assault, weapons possession, and armed robbery. The jury agreed with Robin Murphy's testimony, painting Drew as a violent, sadistic killer and was the ringleader in these horrific murders. Further testimony came from Drew's ex-girlfriend, a woman named Leah Johnson. She claimed that Drew admitted to her that he had killed a girl along with Davis, Murphy, and another woman, presumably Carol Fletcher, while they were under the influence of drugs. Drew also allegedly gave Johnson a diamond ring that belonged to Marsden. Carl Drew claimed his innocence but was convicted of first-degree murder of Karen Marsden and is now serving a life sentence at the MCI in Shirley, Massachusetts, with no possibility of parole. Drew has filed numerous appeals over the years seeking a new trial. His most recent and final one was denied in 2006. Carl Drew's supporters are currently petitioning for the Massachusetts governor to review his case. So somebody who was involved in this case, I'm not sure, it was in the documentary watch, maybe, I'm not sure who it was, but somebody involved says that he will have to live the rest of his life knowing that Carl Drew is serving a life sentence for these murders that he did not commit. And there are a lot of people who agree with that as well. And Carl Drew, to this day, still claims his innocence. So that's pretty wild, you know. um, Maybe he's being framed for this by Robin Murphy. I personally think he is. I think that Do I think he was involved? Yes, of course I do. But I think she was the actual ringleader, and she is just turning it on him by manipulating the jury, by manipulating the courts, her lawyer, you know? So that's my opinion. The case involving Doreen Laveau's murder never went to trial. The district attorney claimed it would be a costly exercise in futility that would simply result in a second life sentence for Carl Drew. All charges against Drew and Willie Smith, the man who supposedly assisted him the night of the murder, were quietly dropped. There are no plans to reopen the case. This is so sad that, you know, even though people know that it was this cult, I don't know, Carl Drew, Robin Murphy, Carl Davis, I don't know which one it was, but definitely this cult that murdered her. And they are not going to give, you know, her family or friends justice. She was a daughter, maybe a sister, a friend. You know, she deserves justice. Her case should be reopened and closed. But um, like that said, there, there are no plans to reopen that case. So that is really sad to me. I've only ever heard that like one other time, I think on the Morbid podcast, there was a a case like that as well. But I think that's really messed up. That's your job. Like, just do your job. That's all we ask. This nightmare continues to haunt Fall River to this day. Allegations of witness tampering, falsified information, insufficient counsel, legal rights violations, and police misconduct 
all hung heavy as the now-closed cases against Malte Andrew came apart following a shocking admission by Robin Murphy. She recanted her entire testimony in an unsuccessful bid for a new trial in 1984. I believe Carl Drew was guilty of killing Karen and many, many other women in the area. Murphy later told a parole board, I believed he belonged in jail, but also knew justice was not taking place, so I made the story up. She also claimed that she was not actually present for the Raposa murder and admitted to fabricating the testimony that led to Andy Malte's conviction as retribution for sexually abusing her. A number of other witnesses also recanted their trial statements. They claimed that there were that they were under pressure from police or under the influence of drugs. Carol Fletcher maintains that she was threatened by police into making her give false statements in order to convict Carl Drew. She now claims that the murder did not even take place in the woods of Westport. According to her new version of events, Robin Murphy killed Marsden at the Harbor Terrace housing projects in Fall River, and the body was dismembered and dumped at various locations. They were fighting and Robin started pulling Karen's hair out of her head, Fletcher claims. I saw Robin put the knife toward Karen and I ran off. I was scared. Paul Carey was a detective from the Fall River Major Crimes Division and he worked on the case. This is his theory. I still believe that Murphy was the real ring leader, not Drew that Laveau was murdered because Murphy was also in love with her and became jealous when Laveau started seeing Drew. I believe Murphy and Marsden were present when Laveau was killed. I think Murphy killed Raposa because Raposa was in love with Malte. Murphy admitted that she and Raposa had previously been lovers, and I believe Murphy killed Marsden because of the two previous murders. Marsden was at the scene of those murders, and I believe Murphy knew she was the weak link and might get them convicted. Some people say the Fall River cult never really existed. It was made up during the Satanic Panic era, made up by the police and media to amplify the horrific slangs of three young women who were prostitutes and dabbled in the occult. Carl Drew himself denies being involved in any such group. I was thrown into the middle of a mass nightmare that involved macabre accusations of devil worship and human sacrifice. Drew claims in, um, in retelling the case, totally off-the-wall accusations that was right out of some thriller novel. None true as far as I was involved and nothing like that was being said. In the fall of 1978, the body of Mary Lou Aruda, a 15-year-old girl abducted from Rainham, Massachusetts, was discovered in the Freetown State Forest. Her hands were bound behind her back and she had been tied to an oak tree by the throat, dying of postural asphyxiation. A man named James Catter was eventually convicted of the crime. Not everyone was convinced of Catter's guilt. A large cross was discovered near Mary Lou's body. 
The crime scene was also in an area of the forest where ritual evidence would later be discovered during the Fall River cult murder investigations. Ten years later, serial killer or killers murdered at least nine prostitutes by strangulation and left their bodies on the sides of various Bristol County highways. According to Alan Alves, a Freetown detective who worked on the case, a cross was nailed to a tree near the body of the first victim that was discovered. He further claimed that small crosses or makeshift altars were found in the same area of some of the other victims. The case remains unsolved. There is nothing to officially connect these crimes other than the strange and violent activity that haunts the city of Fall River over a period of a decade. The Fall River cult seems to be a small grouping of people that all had an interest in practicing evil through devil worship. Were these murders a part of a ritualistic practice to give a soul to Satan, or were they committed by someone from this small circle who acted with their own personal motives? So yeah, that is the end of the case. Um, if you have time, go check out the Fall River documentary on epics. Um, it's good. I mean, clearly there's just so much more. I think it's four episodes. So, but it is definitely good. We really enjoyed it. So thanks for listening, guys. Uh, You can, of course, find me on Spotify. Click the subscribe button and you will get weekly notifications with new episodes. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at True Crimes Untold Podcast. So go check that out as well. And I will see you next weekend. Bye.